Hello, welcome back to the podcast, episode 26. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. This week, I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Bart Lardner, who's a professor at the University of Saskatchewan's Department of Animal and Poultry Science. Bart holds the Strategic Research Program Chair in Cow-Calf and Forage Systems, and he has a wealth of expertise in various aspects of beef cattle production. Our topic for this episode is a discussion around water quality for cow-calf herds. Let's get started. Hi, Bart. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. It was way back on episode three that we had you on, so perhaps I'll get you to start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself again and about your background. Yeah, I'm a professor here in the Department of Animal Poultry Science at the College of Ag and Bioresource and born and raised on a on a grain and cattle operation in BC and I worked in the industry for several years before coming back to school. And so uh, my whole area is, is applied cow-calf and forage research. And so we're just trying to do work that's going to help answer some questions for, for beef producers, forage producers in Western Canada. Great. And you've done so much different research in different areas from nutrition to all sorts of forage and grazing issues and winter feeding. But one of the many areas of research that you've done a lot of work in is in water quality and its effect mm-hmm. on cattle pro- productivity. Mm-hmm. We often talk about water as one of the most important nutrients. Why would cow path producers need to be worried about water quality as one of the many things they have to worry about in their day-to-day lives? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I really do strive. It is probably the most important nutrient ahead of, of protein and energy and vitamins and minerals. Why? Because, you know, uh, the, the source of water, the quality of water is so, so important on, on animal health and animal performance. And so, you know, uh, many times producers just turn their animals out in a spring or a summer program and the animals go find whatever, slew water, you know, uh, uh, water that might have accumulated. And, and, and generally that's probably not the best source of water. And so they'll come back off pasture in the fall and wonder why there was, you know, not good gains or there was, you know, issues. And it was probably related to the quality of water. With with the situation in the last five plus years with with limited rainfall and drought in many areas, water quality has been paramount. So, Yeah, it's been a huge issue here in the prairies for sure. Mm-hmm. How do we assess water quality? What what are some of the key issues that we need to think about when we're we're looking at how good our water is or how bad it is? Yeah, well, I think it's a no-brainer that we certainly do need to do a water test. And, you know, there's labs around that we can we can send those water samples into. Uh, and, you know, obviously you're, you're testing for, for certain constituents in that water, pH, salinity, hardness, uh, specifically nitrates, sulfates, and coliforms. And so, you know, you kind of do the whole, the whole, uh, gamut on, on on looking at the quality of that water and and just try and look at how you're going to manage that going forward. The other thing is that water quality can change over the summer too, right? So just taking a sample in the spring may not be adequate in all circumstances. A- absolutely. So, you know, if you think about where does where's the sources of water for that beef animal, it's it is the free water uh, and so that's generally surface water or ground water. So surface water is generally water in a, in a dugout or a pond <clears throat> through, uh, you know, spring snow melt or, or rainfall throughout the year. And the groundwater can be from those deep 
aquifers, you know, down below, it could be, you know, 100, 200, 300 feet down in some of those wells. And so uh, that's the one, uh, one source. The other is performed water, which is water found in the feedstuffs that the animals are consuming and metabolic water. And so, you know, if consider, consider where that water's coming from and whether or not it's going to be good quality or there's going to be some anti-quality factors associated with it. Well, one of the issues is sulfates on the prairies, especially. That's something we deal with fairly regularly here and especially the last few years. What kind of issues can high sulfates cause if cattle are exposed to that? Yeah, back to your point about when we should test, for sure tests in the start of the grazing season and probably halfway through, and then as it gets drier, certainly water quality will go downhill. Uh, we've seen that through evapotranspiration, and and so uh, you know the quality of it in the spring is going to change to the quality of it in the fall. Uh, sulfates, yes, uh, generally are are a big issue. Why? Because certainly the accumulation of sulfates in that, and generally from groundwater, from well water, can be an issue. I have seen high sulfates in dugout water. And so for several reasons, sulfates are a problem. Uh, primarily, you know, the, the level of, of sulfates in the water, as well as the level in the feed sources accumulated with, say, the molybdenum sources in the feed will tie up some of those trace minerals. That's, that's the primary issue. Right. Especially copper. That's, that's the big one that we see is that it ties up copper. Is there anything we can do? Let's say we do have high sulfates in our groundwater or in our wells even. I've seen it in deep wells as well. Is there anything that a producer can do to mitigate high sulfates in the water? It's pretty hard, I think, right? It, it is. It's really hard. There are some some expensive approaches, <laughs> reverse osmosis and nanofiltration. There are some companies actually looking at, at methods. Like This has been ongoing for, for a couple of decades. Yes, they could probably get it done in the lab, but taking it to the field is, is the next big challenge. Yeah, so as I mentioned, reverse osmosis, nanofiltration, but those are not cheap methods. Yes, you could probably feed chelated minerals, right? They're certainly going to be a lot more expensive than your traditional minerals. But, you know, I mean, there are guidelines, acceptable levels of sulfates. They they suggest that maybe, you know, when we get to that 800, 1000 ppm, uh, we're starting to get on that borderline uh, and then reduce performance, you know, up to that 2000 and probably unacceptable, unsuitable greater than 4,000. And th these guidelines will, will vary depending on the publication. It, it, it is a big problem. And, you know, they, they have they have been an issue in the last three or four years. Yeah, I'm going to try to get Greg Penner. He's been doing some research on, on sulfates in the water, and I've been involved in that a little bit. So we'll probably get him on for a deep dive on sulfates at some point. One of the other terms we see a lot on water test reports is TDS. So what does TDS mean? And what can the problems be that are associated with high TDS? Yeah, that's that's the other constituent that you would ask to be tested for if that water sample. Total dissolved solids is, are, is a measure of the salinity of the water, and those can be calcium salt, sulfates, magnesium salts. And so, you know, high levels of, of salinity, like getting into that 2,000 ppm plus, will, will certainly reduce performance, cause diarrhea, there's a direct correlation with water intake and feed intake, and that goes back to some really early work in 1970s that, you know, uh, as soon as you start to, to restrict water intake, you're going to restrict uh, feed intake or forage intake in, in grazing situations. And so TDS level is, is another important uh, measure for sure. 
Yeah, that's probably the big link, right? Between water intake and productivity is if they don't drink enough, they can't eat to their maximum levels and it's going to affect productivity at the end, right? Oh, absolutely. And and that's why I say is, is you know, you might be in a community pasture or, you know, uh, a regional pasture, a neighbor's pasture or something like that. You might move your cattle during the summer and you don't really know where they're getting their water from. And it could be from a from a, you know, a slough area or a swampy area, or maybe just a dugout that's gone bad. And uh, if they refuse to, to consume their, their needed, you know, level of water, 20 to 40 gallons per day, I think is the range, that's going to impact their ability to graze and, and consume feed and perform. Again, if we have high total dissolved solids, we often have high sulfates too. They sort of go together lots of times, not always, but lots of times. Is it the same answer? There's not much we can do for mitigation of TDS. There's not a lot of strong economical solutions that we can use. To date, no, there is not. Uh, as I said, there is ongoing work looking at different methods, ultrafiltration, you know, coupled with that nanofiltration that I talked about. I am seeing some, you know, s- slow advancements on that horizon. There are several companies doing this work, and we're in conversation with some of them. And they are they are right now working with uh, you know some producer cooperators in the province, and so I think the real thing is to take it from the lab and get it out to the farm and the ranch and test it there. And and the other thing is is the cost, right? So is what's it going to cost you to to put you know numbers of gallons of of, of good quality water in front of your herd uh, that you can justify? So right now for sulfates and TDS, probably the ultimate solution is find another water source if you can. Yeah, that is the bad. <laughs> uh, you know, you have dug a well, you have, you know, incurred those costs and you find out it's very poor quality water. So do you dig a dugout or, you know, do you move your animals or find just another source that you can justify? It is, it is a big challenge for sure. Well, let's talk about bacteria and E. coli counts. Mm-hmm. What damage can they cause and what levels do we have to be worried about? Well, you know, I mean, I guess you have to consider where do they come from? <laughs> and I've been a proponent for all my career of, of when I do do water quality talks to the industry is try to uh, eliminate direct access to that water point. If you can, if it's at all possible, and if it's a, a dugout or, or a river or a creek, direct access generally is a no-no. Do you fence it off completely? If you can't justify fencing it off completely, there are you know, access ramps you can set up so there is a partial access, but off, off-site watering systems, solar powered to, to, to water troughs, there's been lots of really good work on that. With the BMPs going forward, you know, best management practices <clears throat> with the latest federal and provincial programs, there's costs there that can be covered one third to one half to set up these off-site watering systems to, to disallow that direct access. So cattle walking into those water points, defecating and urinating are, is going to lead to these levels of bacteria and, and, and E. coli. And so that's that's certainly something we need to address going forward. What do we see if, if bacteria and E. coli counts are high? Is it just that the cattle don't drink as much or do we see other things happen? Yeah, well, they do go off. Uh, some of that early work at Stavely, Alberta with, with Walter Wilms, showed they just refused to to drink it, you know, fecal coliforms of over 5,000 coliforms per 100 mil. It does cause digestive upsets and, and again, relating to uh, reduced intake of water and reduced intake of forage. 
the, the other issue is is uh, GRD and cryptosporidium can be another couple of, of, of agents we need to look at as well. Yeah, I've been involved in a few outbreaks, and usually mm -hmm. that's where cattle have access to standing water where we see that happen. So we want to limit that access to the water and pump that water up to a trough and fence off the uh, water area. Is there any other way to mitigate high E. coli counts other than that, or is that the main method? Uh, you know, I guess that's, it's, to, to my memory, I guess it's, it's just trying to fence off or, or trying to reduce the direct access to that water point. Okay, so if we gave cattle a choice, do they show a preference for different types of water? Yeah, that's an interesting question because we did some work in this area several years ago uh, offering different types of water, which we thought as humans we were improving the quality of. So chlorinated, ozonated, aerated water. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the well water would be another option and the dugout water untreated would be another option. And so we felt, you know, if we improve the quality and, and, and gave it to these, to these animals in, a, in kind of a preference situation, a no-brainer, they'd pick the highest quality, which they proved us wrong. <laughs> in fact, we found out that the animals at a young age had to learn a behavior for the type of water they were raised on. So as calves, they were, they had a, they were exposed to this uh, aquifer water or deep well water. And so they, they acquired a taste for that. And so when we did the study, they actually preferred that one over the higher quality water. So it's what they're acclimatized to or are exposed to at a young age, I believe, <laughs> that, that they'll take a liking to. How about impact on weight gains? Do certain types of water show any benefits? So if you yeah. ozonate or chlorinate, can you get an improvement in weight gain? Yeah, we did a very uh, simple study many years ago over 20 years ago now. And in a nutshell, working with PFRA, just trying to trying to uh, eliminate direct access to the dugout. And then of course, taking that, that water untreated, pump it to a trough or aerating that water, pumping it to a trough or coagulating that water and pumping it to a trough. So first of all, why aeration? Aeration will increase dissolved oxygen in the water, reduce eutrophication, which is breakdown of the organic matter and and release of phosphorus and all these things that are necessary for algae to grow. Uh, secondly, the coagulation treatment is where it takes those organic particles and and combines them and then they flocculate and, and fall to the bottom and it clears up the water. So hence you're trying to reduce the organic matter in the water. Uh, end of the day, and we did this study over five years, is that the animals on the aerated water actually drank more and performed greater than uh, the untreated to the trough or the direct access cattle. So we came away saying, you know, if you do set up a remote watering system with an aeration, a sandstone in that dugout, over the period of a couple of years, you can justify the cost of that system and you're going to see that improved 9-10% growth performance in those, in those grass or cattle. That's interesting. So just stole my next question. That, that mm -hmm. was a 9 to 10% difference in, in average daily gain? Right. Uh, on, on yearling cattle, grass or cattle on pasture. And that was in over five years. And so we had, as you can appreciate, all types of, of rainfall patterns and, and uh, you know, average years and below average years for rainfall. So it just shows that if you think about water quality and set some type of offsite system up, solar powered wind powered it you're gonna you're gonna be ahead of the game interesting well so in conclusion bart if we've got producers out there that are relying on some kind of standing water source whether that's a dugout or a pond or 
something like that as their source of water for their cows or grass or cattle or whatever that may be, what should they consider doing? Well, first of all, take a water test sample, sending in into the lab and then and, and, and work with your nutritionist or your, your veterinarian to, to look at the results and, and say, okay, is this good water, bad water? And then address it with your mineral program, address it with some other strategies going forward. And again, as I said, maybe test it midsummer and then test it at the end of the year. Uh, and then, yeah, so you're looking at obviously the level of sulfates and TDS and trying to mitigate the uh, negative impact on trace mineral, copper, zinc, and manganese absorption. And so, yeah, it's, it's a first step. And I really see with these programs coming down the pipe this year, uh, there is some support funding for, for producers to address this issue. Yeah, you might want to talk to your local livestock specialist or someone like that to find out about Absolutely. some of those programs because uh, there are a lot of them coming down mm-hmm. the pipeline, I think, mm-hmm. and just uh, coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Bart, for doing yep. this today. Sure appreciate your advice and your time, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back again at some point. All right. Thanks for, thanks for that, and have a great day. You too. Bye. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to my guest, Dr. Bart Lardner. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing or reviewing the podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.